You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Mallory Murphy. And I'm Katie Burke. And once again, we're sitting in for Mike and Chris, but fear not, we have a really cool show planned for you. Joining us today is a leader in the decoy auction world and someone I've known for the past five years and a very good friend of mine, John Dieter of Guyatt and Dieter. John, welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. John, tell us about yourself. How did you end up doing what you're doing? So I grew up in Topeka, Kansas. I was a uh, third generation Jayhawk. Uh, our youngest son also went to KU. He was a fourth generation Jayhawk. He's still, he lives in Kansas City now. And um, so we've got a long history of being in that state. But uh, I left right after college, went to uh, studied economics and then moved to um, Ohio, then Michigan, then back to Ohio and worked for some big companies for a while. And then after about 10 years ago, I approached this auction house, uh, one of the partners, Frank Schmidt, it was Guy and Schmidt at the time, and talked to him about uh, buying his part of the business. And uh, so for the last 10 years, the company has been Guyatt and Dieter, and uh, that's me. And what we do is we bring decoys and find sporting art to auction. It's the job I was apprenticing for my whole life. Started duck hunting at an early age, mostly jumping ponds in Kansas, and then uh, met my wife of 34 years at KU. And in 1985, her dad was uh, with the Coleman Company and ran Crossman Air Guns, but also collected decoys. And she gave me a decoy in 1985 and it was like, wow, that's cool. You know, I, I wanted to put it in like every room that I had so I could just sit and look at it. Cause it just like, that's duck hunting. It was a bufflehead. It was a unique species. And so that set us off on this path of finding out where sportsman shows and decoy shows were across the country, you know, stopping, uh, learning who what collector groups there were, visiting collectors as I traveled with for work, going to museums that had decoy exhibits, and and sort of networking my way through this uh, fairly large and significant group of decoy and sporting art collectors throughout the United States. But I will say that collecting decoys changed my life. The guys that I hunt with every fall, spend time talking to out of the duck season, uh, tend to be people that, um, you know, collect decoys. So we have this common bond, this common interest. I'm curious about your transition to being Dieter at Guy and Dieter. You know, it was crazy. It was, um, it was a little scary. The, the world was falling apart. It was 2008. And, um, but I, I knew that I liked duck decoys and I thought that it would be fun to be an owner in this auction house. And it was 2008 and the, the you know, the, literally the banks are collapsing. And, uh, I said to Leanne, I said, no, I, I, th I think this is a good thing to do. It's okay. It has a future. 
And she's like, really? The, the world's falling apart and we're going to buy a company that sells something that nobody needs. It was pretty scary. Yeah, really. Uh, but we, uh, we went ahead in 2010. We executed the, the purchase agreement with Frank Schmidt. And um, he said, John, he said, trust me, you're going to love this. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, I still thank Frank for giving me the opportunity to buy him out. We get to deal with wonderful people that are collecting because they're excited. And, and Katie, you've met a lot of these people, you know, Brian, Jeremy, Croggy, uh, Robbie Smith, you know, uh, Jim Goodman. These are nice people doing something that they want to be doing. You know, and, and I, Katie, and I know you've been to a few of the auctions and the preview parties, and I would welcome anybody from Ducks Unlimited that can find out, you know, where there's an auction in their area, come to the preview parties. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's like a high school reunion with all the people you want to be with. You know, there's a, there's a common interest in its decoys and waterfowling and waterfowling history. And it may be duck hunting or it may be, you know, the, the punt guns you want to talk about or duck calls. Uh, but it's, it's really a bunch of like kind people getting together um, at those events when we get back to doing those post COVID, I guess. Tell us about the auctions you have planned for 2021. Yeah, Mallory. So, uh, you know, we're sort of just navigating the waters as we go here uh, with the COVID thing. But if next year is normal, what we will have is an auction in about the third week of April. And what we do is it's tied in with the largest sporting collectible show in the country. And that's the North American Decoys Collectors Association. Um, that show would be in Lombard, Illinois, approximately the third week of April. You can check our website at www.guyettendeter.com for updates um, on the location and whether or not that'll happen. But that will be held at a hotel and it'll be, you know, an event that goes, starts, kicks off Wednesday night with a preview. And then the auction ends Friday night and there's an additional show on Saturday. So that's April. We have three auctions. Our second auction of the year is in New Hampshire in July. It's in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, a great place to be. It's, a, it's not as much of a sporting collectibles event as it is just a great city to be in in the summer and a two-day auction. And then in the fall, we, um, we work with the Easton Waterfowl Festival, which brings in about 20,000 you know, tourists and, and uh, attendees, I guess we should say, which is generally the first uh, weekend in the month of November. So those are our three primary catalog sales. We have another business that uh, we started about five years ago, really, called decoysforsale.com. And it's weekly auctions every Thursday night. We have about 50 items that close on a timed auction. Zach Cody works uh, with us and runs that business. It's been a, a really great way for us to make connections with new collectors. That seems to be the way new collectors find us. We guarantee the descriptions of the items we're selling. So it's not the wild, wild west like eBay is where you can buy something that's just been totally misrepresented. We stand behind what we sell as we do in our cataloged auctions. Decoysforsale.com, I think, is, is really a great way for us to keep our, our pulse on the health of the decoy market. And every week we have new people signing up and buying things. So it makes me feel really optimistic about the future of decoy collecting. So, John, why do you think the market is continuing to rise despite COVID? Since the 2008 depression, um, all collectibles 
really across the board took a huge hit that we never would have imagined. And it just seemed to disrupt generations. Like there are things that used to be collectible that may never be collectible again. You know, I had a depression glass or redware or some of these things that just don't seem to be coming back as collectible segments. Decoys, I would challenge anybody to tell me that there's a collectible segment that has come back better than decoys. Maybe guns for a different situation, some segments of guns, but decoys have survived very well. My answer to that is it's because of the social aspect of the decoy collecting. There's monthly and semi, well, there's monthly publications for decoy decoys, hunting, fishing, collectibles, decoy magazine. There are uh, numerous auctions. We're being the, us being the largest, but there's a couple other auction houses that have auctions throughout the year. There is always ads in Maine Antique Digest. There are smaller auction houses that get decoys. So there's always decoy activity happening. I think you can also look at, you know, Facebook and there's a little uh, Facebook club there called uh, Southern Decoy Collectors. Robbie Smith runs that and it's got like 3,500 members that are fairly active. There's these shows that are regionally across the country. There's probably, um, probably close to 75 decoy shows every year across the country. So I just think there's enough social activity supporting decoy collecting that it has kept it alive and thriving. You know, I mean, you look at the amount of Bass Pros and Cabela's being built. They continue to build stores. People continue to do outdoor things. Younger generations are coming in and collecting decoys. It's not as visible because they're not buying, you know, $10,000 decoys, but you don't really have a chance to do that until maybe you're 50 years old. So uh, the new collector for us today is somebody that is probably 50 years old or better. And that's great because they can stay with decoy collecting for maybe 30, 35 years and, and enjoy it. They've got their kids' education paid for, their house paid for, or whatever it may be. They're, a lot of their financial responsibilities are behind them. Um, now let's talk about COVID. Um, COVID, I think, has actually been pretty good for collectibles because the biggest competitor um, to collectibles the last several years has been the travel and leisure industry. And right now, the travel and leisure industry has taken a big hit. People are not getting on airplanes and going to Europe. They're not getting on cruise ships. So these spendable dollars that people have, you know, they're sitting around their house looking at their decoy collection going, huh, maybe I should upgrade that. Or maybe it's the duck call collection or whatever it may be. But what we're seeing is if you have a good online presence, COVID's been pretty good for collectibles, for selling collectibles. I would say that our last May auction was the strongest auction I've ever You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. John, I'm curious, how do you choose and find these collections and decide which ones you want to see in person? We don't have to find things so much anymore. The company was started in, our company was started in 1984 by Gary Guyette, my current partner, and James Julia. And since then, we've sold a couple hundred million dollars worth of decoys. You know, we have a large mailing list. 
and we have we are in touch with a very significant number of active collectors. So, you know, we're not very few things are fresh to the market or being turned up anymore. Pretty much, if you collect decoys, you've done business with us or you know who we are. So when you decide to, you know, maybe deaccession your collection or or do trade up or whatever, or just become active, it's likely you're going to get in contact with us. So that's, you know, we're not um, necessarily cold calling anybody, Katie. It's, you know, it's, it's our, it's our reputation. We've planted enough seeds over the last 40 years that, um, that we're pretty integrated into the collecting world. So I travel a lot and, I travel a lot to go see people. Um, and it's not just, you know, the big collections, the important collections. It's, it's, it's nice to visit, uh, new collectors that have an interest in growing, starting a collection. I work closely with a lot of people that have less than 10 decoys, you know, trying to help them avoid hitting speed bumps in their, um, in the, in the growth of their collection. And help help them stay, you know, I don't know, disciplined, in um, and, and setting some criteria for what they want to accomplish with their decoy collection collecting. And it used to be that decoys were cheap enough you could have you know five hundred of them or a thousand of them. That was the deal. But now you know there's some fairly serious money if you want to stick to some pretty high quality decoys. You know, five hundred dollars can get you a very nice piece, but there are plenty of people out there that'll spend easily five figures. And so you, we want to work with those people closely and be sure they accomplish their goals. They stay, they don't make many mistakes and they're protected as they, as they go through their uh, collectible growth. Cause they do, they, they change, you know, it's like, I want to do this. And then you talk to them a year later and it's like, ah, I really don't like mergansers. I want to sell my mergansers and buy campus backs. And so you just want to help, kind of help make sure their experience is good. Once you know what you have to sell, how do you decide when and where to sell it? So the best sales that we have are the sales that are very balanced. And what I mean by that is that just like there's, you know, you think about the flyways that everybody at Ducks Unlimited talks about. Um, carvers and collectors sort of follow those same flyways. You have the Pacific Coast, you have the Illinois River or the Central Flyway, and you have the East Coast. And then you have these Louisiana and some New England stuff. And then you break that down to shorebirds and ducks. But what we try to do is have a balanced variety for each sale. And the balanced offerings tend to be the strongest because you're giving something to, you know, a little bit of something to everybody out there, Katie. That's, and so we'll, you know, if we get a collection of 250 Illinois River decoys, we're not going to sell them all at the same time because that's not good for the market. It's not good for the owner of those 200 decoys we would break them into two or three sales per year. And that's one of the advantages that we have when we deaccession a collection is we've got three catalog sales per year, plus we have our, our weekly auctions. When did y'all start the catalogs? The catalogs, oh, I think first catalog was that Gary and Jim Julie did was in 1984. Yeah, they've changed since then. Oh my gosh, they were black and white. I mean, I can remember when the first few, you know, then they would have like some color pages and that was a big deal. That was probably in the early 90s. So the catalogs used to sort of be a listing of items for sale. We treat that differently now. We try to, we work really hard to present new information on the carvers 
of the decoys, the makers, and preserve the history, the waterfowl heritage. You know, who was Ben Dye? Who was Elmer Kroll? Who were the Ward brothers? You know, when did they make this? Was this made in 1918 or 1936? We try to make them very educational so that our catalogs become a great reference source for people that want to go back and, and study and, and get knowledgeable on, you know, decoys or waterfowl history or wherever it may be. Each catalog has new information about carvers, about hunting areas. You know, we just wrote a piece on uh, golden plover shooting on Nantucket. And um, so there's the catalogs are fabulous. They, uh, they're, they're a walk through history. You know, for a lot of the people that can't travel to the sale, you can give them a good experience by giving them a great catalog. Yeah. And you get the quality pictures of the decoys and you get an idea of what you're going to see. There's nothing like holding it though. That, that's right. That's a, and that's one of the things with COVID, you know, a lot of people have had to overcome. There are plenty of buyers that would say, well, I won't buy a decoy without holding it. And now we're seeing them buying decoys without coming to the sales because they've just, they've been forced into this. And, and, you know, our demographic is like, I would say 50 plus, not necessarily technology wizards and COVID has forced them to learn to get better on the computer. So it'll be interesting to see what, what outcomes, you know, there are over the next couple of years. John, tell us about some of the world records y'all have. So we hold probably 70% of all the world records by Carver for decoys made. Maybe it's 80%. It's a, it's a lot. I think, um, you know, and that could, Elmer Kroll, the world record, Elmer Kroll at $830,000 for a feeding black belly plover. The world record at auction for a single decoy was a Lothrop Holmes hen merganser for $856,000 in January of 07. So, you know, we've, we've sold a lot of decoys for a lot of money. Uh, two years ago in the summer, Katie, I don't remember if you were up there, but we sold a pair of um, Kane's brother Mallards for, you know, one, one, $1.1 million. Um, so there's some, yeah, there's some real money in this stuff. Y'all have some very high profile clientele. We certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine spending a half a million dollars on a decoy to put on a shelf? Decoys have been pretty good. You know, I don't promote them as investment, but they are an asset. You know, art is an asset class or category in its own. Uh, they are a, a hedge against inflation and um, they have done they have done fine over time. They really have, especially compared to other collectibles. I've been to a few of your auctions. Do you find that your big items sell via phone or in person? A lot of them are a lot of them go to the phone lines, um, but that uh, one went to the phone and one went to the floor in that situation. But yeah, the, the phone is particularly active during our our sales, and you you can understand why. If a guy's an orthopedic surgeon and he can, you know, do five knee replacements in a day, and he trusts us, you know, or or maybe he's seen what he's going to bid on, he doesn't necessarily need to be there. And, and one, you know, one point of difference with our auction company versus virtually every other auction company in the country, no matter what they sell, we guarantee the condition reports. So if you look, if we say it's original paint, it's going to be original paint or we're going to take it back. There are, you know, Christie's, Sotheby's, virtually everybody else just says condition report is a state of opinion and it's caveat, you know, buyer beware. We don't do that. We think people like um, our condition guarantee we make them feel more comfortable when they're buying. And that's the reason we do that on our decoys for sale weekly auctions also. It's just a safe place to buy where people can you know, trust us and we can build good relationships for over time. 
So yeah, we have a lot of world records. Um, and we, you know, we set some new ones every year. The things that to me are some of the most fun are the, um, like the fresh finds. And a few years ago we were in Chicago and, um, I get this phone call, John, get over here now. I'm like, well, we're in the middle of a sale. Get over here now. So I set the phone down and I go over and Joe Tonelli's saying, talk to this lady right here. He drags me up in front of her and there's this 75 year old lady standing there and she says, I have something I'd like to show you. I said, well, how can I help you? She hands this, puts this duck call in my hands and I know exactly what it is when she does. And it's just like, Oh my God, that's the Holy grail. And she said, I know this duck call is worth a lot because I was offered $5,000 for it. I said, ma'am, that duck call is worth a lot. And I think we can sell it for at least $30,000. And she said, really? I said, yes. She said, well, let's, let's talk. So she, on her father's deathbed in the hospital, he handed her this duck call and he said, hang on to this. It's going to be worth a lot of money sometime. She literally kept it in her panty drawer in her, in her bedroom for all these years. Right. And I don't know what that was, 20 years or something like that. She gives it to us. She says, you know, her husband needs a new car and they didn't have a lot of money. $5,000 would have been a bunch of money to him at the time. So we sold, that was in April. We sold that duck call after promoting it for a little bit. We sold that duck call in July and um, it was bought by uh, a close friend of ours, Jay Coochie for $103,000, which set the world record for a duck call at auction. Yeah, it was a great story. And, you know, to, to, it was heartwarming to know that that lady, you know, somebody had offered her 5000 and, you know, could have left all that money on the table. I'm glad she didn't. If you Google world record duck call at auction, you can see that it's on, uh, it's on YouTube, I think. Is it the Beckert call? Yeah, it's a carved James T. Beckert duck call. To clarify to our listeners, do not go digging around in your grandmother's undergarment drawer. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think there's incentive to do it. You just got to tell her you're looking for a duck call. Speaking of that, are there any other Holy Grail items that you're looking to get your hands on? Not that we don't know where it is. Every year there are some new things that are found and come to market as fresh items. Two years ago, got a phone call from somebody who was just going through their parents' stuff and they had a sent me a picture of this just knockout duck decoy. And I knew immediately what it was. It was a hen sleeping mallard, and it was made by Robert Elliston. Robert Elliston was the founder of the Illinois River style of duck decoys. And, you know, he, I probably could have told him it was worth $250 and he would have been thrilled. And I said, you know, you have quite a decoy there. I said, I'd like to, I'm going to be out in, in, uh, Minneapolis in the next couple of weeks. Why don't we get together? And we got together and I, he brought the decoy. I remember, I think it was a Subway sandwich shop or something. And he brought the decoy and I looked at it and I said, well, it's probably the finest Robert Elliston Mallard hen that in existence. And he said, well, what's that mean? I said, well, let's not get excited, but it will at least sell for $50,000. And he said, you're kidding me, $50,000. So I said, yep, if you, know, if you let us work with you, I think we'll get you more. So we got, we got the decoy, we put it in the catalog, we told the story, we let everybody know it's the finest example of a Robert Elliston sleeping mallard hen made about 1900 probably. And it brought at auction in Chicago, that was three years ago, I think Katie, it brought uh, 
$225,000. So, you know, to me, it's, it's really fun when you get a chance to work. And, and they were thrilled because they were going to go buy a new tractor for the farm. It's those stories are fun. You know, there was another one. It was, a, in fact, about uh, I think it was about 12 years ago. There was a couple from Indiana that met at church, hardly had any money at all. They bought a house for twenty six thousand dollars in uh, Indiana, bordering the Illinois somewhere. And uh, they were doing some they were going to renovate it. So they went up in the attic to to uh, uh, do some construction or whatever and found two gunny sacks full of decoys in there. We sold the decoys for them, and in total, they made $280,000 on two gunny sacks full of decoys after buying a house for $26,000. So those are, you know, those are the exciting things that happen every year. There, there, are, some, there are some fresh finds. There are some, uh, some great heartwarming stories for you know, people that can use the money and find something of value, and, and um, we can, we can uh, transition it into cash for them. Are there any situations where someone brings you an item they found and wanted appraised? It's an item that you want, but they want to hang on to it for a little while. Yeah, it happens all the time. You know, it's um, especially if we do some appraisal days or something and we've done some at at, uh, at the Bass Pro there with Katie or wherever you may be. But if you tell somebody that they walk in with very low expectations and you tell some somebody they have something that's worth ten dollars or $20,000, they're in shock. And you see it on the Antiques Roadshow, right? They're in shock. And the first thing they got to do is go home and drive around town and tell everybody. So they are not ready to hand it over to you to sell just yet. But generally, you know, you get that follow-up call. John, before we wrap this up, can you tell us how you feel about the future of collecting? You know, I just, I, in general, I feel really good about the, uh, the future of collecting. I think it, it just layers so nicely with waterfowl hunters. It's a way for us to extend the season. It's a way for us to make new waterfowling connections. The people I've met that collect decoys and hunt or own places, um, you know, they're very, uh, tend to be very gracious. And I, you know, and I, I mean this, I, I tell people, it's like, you know, you wait, this decoy collecting will literally change your life. And it does. The people you talk to, the people you hang out with, the people you hunt with, um, you just, you, you inevitably end up with this very common bond that is, is very healthy and fun and, uh, really takes you down a, a nice path. So, I, I, if you enjoy the outdoors and you enjoy history and vi- you enjoy visual arts, um, I would, I would highly encourage DU folks that haven't put a decoy in their house to look at to do so. John, thank you so much for being on the show. I've really learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners did too. Thanks, Mallory. Thanks, Katie. Special thanks to our guest today, John Dieter. Thanks again to my co-host, Katie Burke, and to our producer, Clay Baird, for putting up with us. As always, thanks to all of you for tuning in and for supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina ProPlan Sport. 
Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.